the Tea Party. John Boehner had the right wing of the right wing and then uh, against them and they became the Freedom Caucus, which was even a bigger burr in the side of Paul Ryan. I think we should go back for earlier. Go back to 1994. Yeah, th- th- now you're talking. This is gold. Okay. Let's do some of this. <laughs> I want to say, like, when was the last time we had a an ambitious rising star congressman from Louisiana who was on the verge of being Speaker of the House. Bob Livingston, Livingston, call your office. Mr. Speaker. You're at the intersection of business and politics. This is the 14th and G podcast from Melman Consulting. Now, here's our host, Dean Hinkson. Mr. Speaker, those words were not super relevant when I uh, cut the intro to this podcast, but they were relevant last week and they're super relevant again this week. Listeners of 14th and G, and I know many of you do, who listen through the end credits will hear the words, beam me up, Mr. Speaker. And those were spoken by the late Congressman Jim Traficant. And it seems like now we've got a house full of Jim Traficant's characters who just want to parade themselves in front of the cameras and get attention to what end I do not know. So much to break down. We're going to get right to it. I'm joined once again here in the 14th and G Worldwide Studios by Republican Bruce Melman and Democrat David Thomas. Gentlemen, welcome to 14th and G. We're going to cover because our good friend David Thomas is back from a brief illness. Uh, He looks fit as a fiddle. Fantastic. Fantastic. We're going to cover all of 2023 in 23 minutes. Bruce, DT, welcome to 14th and G. Thank you, Dean. Well, thank you for having me back here. And uh, let me just say how nice it was to hear your both of your voices here last week <laughs> when I was uh, holed up in my attic uh, guest room uh, with COVID again. Uh, very 2021 of me, but uh, thankfully I've got it out of my system. And I will say, you guys left me with a lot of things that I wanted to say. <laughs> so I'm not saying we go over the 23 minutes here, but I'm going to require a few more minutes on my side. Well, that, that, DT, that is only fair. Uh, let's open it up. Uh, the, the country is uh, 247 years old, I know, because I was born in 1976. And I'll, all I have to do is add 200. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and in all of that time, the House of Representatives has never, never had the chair, the Speaker's chair vacated, uh, certainly not for this long. I believe there has been a death or two of a serving Speaker. Uh, but as we all know by now, Speaker Kevin McCarthy was ousted by 208 Democrats and eight Republicans. The Republicans have still not found their way out of the wilderness. So, Mr. Thomas, the floor is yours. How did we get here? Why are we here, and why can't we get out of this? <laughs> you know, I, I lock myself and, in. And I say we. Yeah. 208 I, Democrats. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, where, where to start? Where to start here? It, look, I think this is uh, something, while very sudden, that has happened in the last week that has been brewing within the House Republican Conference for probably the last 20 years, if 
not farther. Uh, we were discussing earlier, uh, certainly you can trace this back to the beginning of the Tea Party, but I think you can go back farther than that. As, as Bruce will frequently point out, the Republicans, uh, we think of them as generally having this corporate structure and everybody reports up, but they're always taking shots at each other. You can go back to uh, Teddy Roosevelt and William Howard Taft for crying out loud. Speaker Joe Cannon, <laughs> radical revolutionaries are in the GOP DNA. That's right. And so uh, it just seems that uh, uh, things are picking up at a more rapid pace than, than we're used to here. And, uh, you know, the, the seeds that were... Uh, uh, planted, I would say, by uh, Kevin McCarthy and uh, Eric Kanner and, and Paul Ryan over a decade ago. They're, uh, they are now reaping what they sow. I'm, He's maligning I'm, the young gun. Oh, my gosh. Well, they're, the, the young guns are uh, slim pickings these days. Gun I'm down. I'm going to go back even farther. I mean, there, is, there, there are many reasons why this is happening to Republicans and, and not to Democrats. Uh, and let's just say uh, Steve Scalise got uh, got 113 votes in conference. Uh, that would normally be the nominee that Republicans vote for on the floor as the majority party in the House. But go back to 1994, the Republican Revolution, and and what were one of the tenets of of the Gingrich speakership? Uh, and the contract with America on which they ran and won in 1994, overturned the House majority for the first time in 52 years. They democratized the caucus. Uh, they castrated committee chairmen. And they even castrated the leadership. And you throw on top of that uh, things like McCain-Feingold that took soft money away from the parties. Add on top of that social media where... Uh, so many members now have their own independent fundraising profiles. Uh, you know, they they get these hits uh, there in the Cannon Rotunda or the Russell Rotunda, uh, and they're raising the, you know they're raising hundreds of thousands of dollars off of it. Unlike the Democrats, you know, so many DT we've talked so many people who the minute they stuck their head up out of line with Nancy Pelosi. They weren't just uh, questioning their chairmanship. They found themselves out of, out of Congress. If you want to go back that far, I'll take it even more macro. At the end of the day, this is the Internet revolution disrupting politics. Because the politics that when we were paying attention, certainly historically, were very party dominated. You needed the party to get out your message. You needed the party to raise the money. If the party wasn't behind you, you wouldn't have the infrastructure, the support to, to get your name on the ballot and to move forward. And so for a very long time, we saw a lot more respect for the party. The internet allows you to disintermediate the party. We see this with institutions all over the place. Individuals are empowered, that's good. Institutions are weakened, that's often bad. Nowhere is that true more than politics. And on the Republican side, that's given uh, opportunity for these performative individuals to run against their own party because they can raise money nationally. They don't need to worry about the district. The money from political action committees, people used to all talk about business PACs, they were a moderating influence. Now all the money comes from Act Blue and Win Red or from super PACs. There's no reason to be a team player. There's no reason to be uh, constructive for the institution. Uh, be a sole operator, be a lone wolf. You can raise your money, you can build a national profile, you can get your message out. Um, that's the world that I don't think the institutions 
around politics the institution, have figured out. The institution has absolutely not figured it out. I'm going to, uh, I, I pulled a quote here because I think we have blown by one of the foundational norms of the operation of the Congress with, without a lot of consideration. The quote, uh, Steve Scalise got 113 votes. That is a majority. But how are you going to convince the other 100-something of us that just say, well, now we're going to vote for Steve Scalise. That's Troy Nels, uh, uh, Republican congressman, represents the 22nd District of Texas. He's a rank-and-file member. Why? Because for decades, if not centuries, when you won the internal caucus nomination, you go to the floor and you lock arms and you vote for your party's candidate for speaker. And now this is much more like a British parliamentary-style coalition forming where where a prime minister has to go out and try to cobble a governing coalition together. Of course, this is not a parliament. This is one half of a bicameral Congress. And that's the problem. So what you're telling me, uh, Dean, is that you're shocked, shocked that Troy Nels and other Republicans are not willing to accept the outcome of an election. That's very on-brand for Republicans these days, number one. Number two is, you should have continued the quote there. What is Congressman Nels called on? He is called that the caucus should invite former President Trump to the conference and nominate him to be their speaker, which would really be the icing on the cake of the shit sandwich that the Republicans have developed over the past month. Although, look, again, I'd say... Uh, Trump exploited the same phenomenon that others like Matt Gates are exploiting now. Trump didn't invent it, and he wasn't a constructive force. He accelerated, but ultimately, Trump ran against the institutional Republican Party. That's how he got the nomination. He has continued to run against the institutional Republican Party. He spends as much energy going after Mitch McConnell as he does after anyone else. Dean, to the quote you, you read, though, what, what it feels like is we went from the way the House operated to the subsequent Hastert rule, where a speaker was expected to not to only bring things that had a majority of the majority. We may have now jumped to the Roy rule, where you can't bring anything unless you have at least 218 of your own members willing to vote for it. In the case of Kevin McCarthy, he had 96% of the conference support to be speaker, and 96% was insufficient. The era of team play is over. It's over, but I mean, the gasoline on that fire is the fact. Sure, okay, if you've got 260 members of the House in your party uh, out of 435, oh, you know, maybe, but when you've only got 222 uh, and you have to get 218 to get a majority, uh, you know, the Roy rule rubs a little thin. Well, there's, there is one person who has right Here now we go. about 213 <laughs> votes in support here, and that is Hakeem Jeffries. He's got about 100 more than Steve Scalise. He's got about 100 more than Jim Jordan. And I, As uh, Matt Gates was counting on. As I appreciate you point out at the, the, the start, why didn't the Democrats come save the Republicans again from themselves? Uh, why didn't they save Kevin McCarthy? I can give you about 100 reasons why that didn't happen. But... I will throw it back at you all. Why aren't there five Republicans, not moderates, but institutionalists, who could go across the aisle to uh, Leader Jeffries to say, we got to get, there are too many issues in this country right now that we need to be addressing here, and the Congress can't function. 
why don't we form a coalition we, government? We, we may approach that point. I, you know, it's uh, it's for a Republican member of Congress to empower a Democratic speaker. Uh, it seals their death warrant, but seals their political death warrant. I mean, they're they're never gonna. They're certainly not going to get a win a primary or, or another. Well, election. Not I, I certainly primary. I, That's the thing, right? right? We, what we've seen is not only is the right wing of the right wing demanding fealty from all Republicans, uh, or else they're going to go after them, but they're trying to take them out in primaries in districts as we, you know, see 2022 election. You run the Herschel Walkers, you run the Doc Ozes, you run candidates who can't win in moderate districts. You know what their subsequent members are called? Democrats. Well, the the, the challenge here for Republicans is, yes, I can't imagine a coalition government form, so maybe we'll end up there in, in two weeks from now if Congress can't do anything. But the Republicans in the House are certainly making the case for, uh, they shouldn't be in charge of anything. Um, they are, are not able to control the government at this point. They've done this to themselves here. And there are critical issues that should be addressed here. Boy, if we're looking at uh, you know elections coming up in, in, what, 13 months from now, that's a pretty powerful case for it. These guys, this is a clown show. You can't put these guys in charge. They are making the case to be a permanent minority party. They know how to throw bombs from the back. They don't know how to lead. Well, of course, you make the point, DT, none of this is happening in a vacuum, and it's certainly not happening during a slow time on the world stage. Tragedy, uh, horrible, disgusting acts of barbarism and terrorism uh, occurred in Israel uh, here in the past week uh, with an attack from uh, with an attack from Hamas, uh, who controls the uh, who controls the Palestine area of the Gaza Strip. There is no, there's probably no single entity, certainly not on the foreign stage, on the world stage, there's probably no single entity that has broader or deeper support in the United States Congress than Israel. And, you know, members of the House are now looking, when the Senate comes back, uh, they are going to hit the ground running with a resolution of support. Uh, there will be discussions of a sort of an arsenal of democracy package, uh, certainly of aid, military aid to Israel, and it probably includes Ukraine as well. Can the House withstand, uh, some, particularly on the Israel front, can they withstand uh, the fact that the Senate's moving and they're, they're unable to bring anything across the floor? Well, I'll give you my prediction. If they haven't, uh, if we haven't voted a speaker in, I believe that the uh, acting speaker, Mr. McHenry, will move an Israel and only Israel, not Ukraine, not anything else, resolution under suspension of the rules requiring a two-thirds vote. Um, it's There's a big debate, as you know, about how much authority does a uh, temporary speaker like this have. It's historically unprecedented. So we don't know until we learn. And you, under suspension of the rules, you can do whatever you want because you are suspending the rules that say you can't do it. If two-thirds of the members want to go there, I, I could easily see, and I don't think Mr. McHenry wants to go too far, but I could easily see the package getting passed under suspension if we're in this period where um, you know, half the Republicans have guns pointed at the other half, figuratively. I, I think you're right, though. So you, far, figuratively. Yeah, I, I think you're right, though. I think that the Senator Schumer, who's uh, just back from China, I think now had a big codel over there, cut it short to come back. Um, I, I think we'll see a very strong bipartisan, um, you know, 90 plus votes in the House, uh, Senate uh, supporting Israel uh, financially and otherwise. Uh, and that's going to put a lot of pressure on the House to have to do something here. Now, 
you know, I think McHenry rightly realizes his authority is very limited to what he can able to do. As 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 the rule has been written for the Speaker Pro Tem, this came out of the uh, uh, 9-11. Uh, continuity of government. Continuity of government 20 plus years ago. Uh, it was to just uh, convene the House to be able to elect a new speaker. That is what his authority is. Now, he's already exceeded that because in addition to that, apparently he can also be sort of a slumlord and kick elderly <laughs> members of Congress out of their offices <laughs> if he doesn't like them. Uh, um, Nancy Pelosi's when they're, away. When they're at funerals, no less. I mean, that's a, that's I, did, I didn't realize that was part of the continuity of government, but that's uh, there. So he's already shown the willingness to expand his powers here in all seriousness. This is why government needs to function. Uh, it is a dangerous world out there. There are things that are going to happen and we have to have, you know, our system is built for two party government here. So I hope the House Republicans can, can pull themselves together. Well, you're right, DT. And the piece that I think about here, when this is studied, one of the observations is that uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu may have taken his eye off the intelligence ball focused on controversial judicial reforms, focused on his own legal challenges within the country of Israel, and they're going to have to decide if that happened. But the idea that domestic social issues are getting in front of uh, national security makes me think of more than 300 military promotions that are being held up by a single senator with more than 90 senators ready to, as normally would be done uh, pro forma, promote those the DOD thinks worthy. The Strategic Petroleum Reserve is at decades low because we wanted to bring prices down prior to the midterms. Uh, the CHIPS funding, which Congress agreed to on a bipartisan basis, is being held up by those who want to undo deals that were already cut on the funding side and those who want to require social things like, you know, unions created um, uh, child care centers uh, on, the, uh, on, on the spending side. God forbid we get to the point where we're looking back thinking, man, we took our eye off the ball focusing on a lot of these social issues instead of realizing that the defense and the intelligence establishments need to be free to do their jobs. A poll, poll just out in the Jerusalem Post, four out of five Jewish Israelis blame Netanyahu and the current government uh, for allowing the uh, the terrorist attack from Hamas. So that 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 certainly appears to be sinking in. Gee whiz, I, you know we 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 if we needed reminding uh, in in the in the twenty plus years since nine eleven uh, that we do live in a dangerous world that we live in a much more connected world. We often you know particularly in our jobs we rec we represent a lot of folks in the technology sector. Uh, we represent a lot of folks that are doing amazing things like amazing things but boy so far the 21st century seems a lot like the 20th century with internet and drones look i mean sorta first i think a mistake a lot of policymakers make and a lot of businesses make is to believe that the world of the post-Cold War was a new permanent normal, the end of history, as Francis Fukuyama famously called it and wrote. And I think one of the things we're going to realize 10, 20, 30 years from now is the period from the end of the Cold War to the start of the Ukraine War, that was the aberration. Right. That the world is a dangerous place. That the unipolar American moment was amazing, but you know where it was hyper-globalization, where it was all about you know technology and creativity and a lot of movement across borders. We are going back to what is probably more of a, of a natural state of the world. 
for for all for all the for all the fantastic and amazing things that technology brings us and enables us to do it does not change the fundamentals of human nature all right david i gave you the first word i'm going to give you the last word uh let's uh let's you got any predictions on uh what's going to happen here in the uh in in the people's house I, I have no prediction on what's <laughs> going to happen in the people's house. Uh, I fear to look at my phone since we've been talking for the past 23 minutes to find out that perhaps there already is a new speaker of the house who has since been deposed. Uh, so that may have happened. So if this is out of date when you listen to this, sorry about that. So I will uh, take it from the uh, rough and tumble world of the house to the gridiron. I've got our prediction this weekend. I will be in uh, a state near and dear to your heart, Indiana, uh, yes. this weekend to see the Fighting Irish take on nice. the USC Trojans. Now, the, the, the Irish have uh, hit a couple of speed bumps lately, but uh, I think they're getting back on track and uh, hoping, for a, hoping for a big win. Uh, who does Ole Miss play this weekend? I'll throw that back you at you. You know what? I don't know who Ole Miss has, I'm ashamed to say, but uh, the, the, the Carolina Tar Heels, ranked, I think, 14th currently, have got the Miami Hurricanes, who are also ranked, I think, 24th. Uh, this is uh, this is the we're, the, Carol, the Tar Heels are five and zero under Mac Brown. Uh, this is one of the best starts we've had in school history <laughs> for football, and uh, I'm hoping for big things out of the Heels this weekend. Well, let's just say, uh, regardless of what may or may not happened up in the House of Representatives here, we can all agree that it's been a pretty good football season so far, and uh, we got two more months to go. It's been a fantastic football season, Bruce Melman. David Thomas, thank you so much for joining me on 14th and G. Thank you, Dean. Thanks, Dean. Thanks for listening to today's podcast, brought to you by the lobbying firm of Melman Consulting. For more, just type 14th and G podcast into your favorite search engine or look for 14th and G wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe. Beam me up, Mr. Speaker.